0: This is the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's Salem, dot org. We believe preaching is best when experience is part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us to hear preaching and to take the Lord's Supper, and these acts are more robust when done together. Usually we meet Sunday evenings in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. We hope to return to that soon, and as you enjoy this podcast, we hope you'll come with us when we can gather in person. Okay, Um, welcome to Illinois. I think this is working. Can you see... Um I am surrounded by the, the war fields and my family and they're gonna say they're gonna have a big clap right now and yeah, nobody's here yet. Welcome Nobody, nobody's, <laughs> <there> yet. <laughs> <laughs> nobody's working, what? nobody's there yet. No, nobody's there. Okay, people are starting to come in. And they won't let us on the Instagram. Two day. people have come in four are now coming in. Okay, no, so easy. um I'll just wait for a few more people to come in. Now six. Um if you can see behind me there's a cornfield and some trees, and this is a uh, the land where rob warfield grew up this is his house and um i'm here uh with the warfield family on vacation and uh glad to be preaching to you from illinois and uh i'm gonna go ahead and read our passage from romans 6 and it's in your bulletin and while people are coming in i'll be reading the passage so uh, this is from romans 6 1 through 14 and the instagram people um We're still working on Instagram, on the Instagram feed, so um, I'll go ahead and start reading. This is uh, from Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we were joined with him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. And we know that our sinful old selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. Now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So also, you should consider yourselves dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live, do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right. For the glory of God, sin is no longer your master. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Thanks. Amen. Okay, so um, again, welcome to Illinois, and uh, around me are my family and the Warfields, and so I'm preaching to them, even as I am preaching uh, to you, and um, last week, uh, Jonah Hooper preached um, on one of my favorite passages, and he did a marvelous job, um, and That in some ways, um, at the end of that passage, you get almost to the most uh, glorious moment of um, the presentation of God's wonderful gospel uh, almost anywhere in the whole book of Romans where it talks about um, how Paul says, he kind of cries out enraptured by God's grace. He says, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Grace just completely overwhelms and overcomes all of our sin and it's like a gigantic wave just crashing on a little tiny sandcastle of sin that's how much grace reigns over even the power of sin um and so where sin abounds paul says grace abounds all the more and you almost think if you're uh, if you're one of the romans hearing this uh, passage preached you almost think this is like irresponsible that uh that god would make this uh Statement that God would say that no matter how bad your sin gets, my grace superabounds and goes way beyond that sin. And so, a lot of people, a lot of people who are um, very responsible uh, people, uh, very moral people, uh, they get very nervous about this kind of preaching because they think, well, if um, if that's how great God's grace is, then does it even matter that we sin? And that's what the that's what the Romans say in verse one. This is a this is basically one of the Roman Christians responding to Paul when Paul says, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And then the Roman Christian says, wait a minute, uh, verse one, should should we keep on sinning so that grace may abound even more? Uh, Should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? And that's a logical question based on the fact that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. In fact, whenever you really hear the gospel, if the gospel is rightly preached, um, if you're really believing it, then that question should actually enter into your mind. And I would say, if that question has never entered into your mind, you probably have never really understood the gospel. Because it, the gospel almost seems like it uh, is uh, what we sometimes call antinomian or against the law or uh, licentious or, um, you know, just irresponsible. Like it's enabling mm-hmm. sin. Um, but then Paul quickly counters that idea here in this passage. And uh, he says, should we keep on sending that grace may abound? And he says, by no means. Oh, and now Instagram is up. Okay, so... Um, those who people on Instagram, I hope you didn't give up, but you're now also with us. So we've got both the YouTubers and the Instagrammers watching. Okay, we're live now on Instagram. So uh, should we keep on sending that grace may abound? And Paul says no. Uh, he says no because he says, when you believe the gospel, not only are all of your sins forgiven and not only are you completely declared righteous, And you don't have to ever worry about condemnation ever again, no matter how bad your sin gets. That's all true. But he also says, when you believe the gospel, not only are you justified, but you are also now going to be sanctified, which means not only are you declared righteous, but now you actually begin to become more righteous every day. So both justification and sanctification are tied together uh, when you believe the good news. And um, you, you essentially become a new person. Both justification and sanctification are part of being united with Christ as one. And that's the essence of the gospel, is that when you believe in Jesus Christ, you become a brand new person, a person where the the blood of Christ, so to speak, the the DNA of Christ, the thoughts of Christ flow through you, and uh, you are united to him. Um, One of my best friends wrote a book called Union with Christ, and it's all about this. It's all about how he is the vine and you are the branch, You're in him and he is in you. And that's really right at the heart of what the gospel means. And so when you become united with Christ, amen, Amen. (laughs) when you become united with Christ, uh, you can no longer be comfortable uh, with sin. Um, Because if he's in you, he was not comfortable with sin and you're not going to be comfortable with sin either. And so in a way you can say that sin will not taste good anymore. Um, You might actually, you you will continue to sin, but it's not going to taste very good to sin anymore. And so, um, amen. Amen. (laughs) So I want to look at uh, this new person that we become in Christ and uh, this person who is in union with Christ, who is not only justified, but is being sanctified. And when you're united with Christ, you're united with him in his death and in his resurrection. So first, you become dead to sin, and then you, you become alive to God in Je- Jesus Christ. So that's what Paul's talking about. So those two parts of the sermon, briefly, um, first of all, you are united with him in his death. Uh, you're united with Christ in his death when you become a believer. Um, and I saw uh, the other day, now this is about a week and a half ago now, I was driving up our street on um, Academy coming off Peter's Creek, when you turn— on to Academy, going up the hill into Ardmore, right off of Peter's Creek. Uh, It's a place where there's a strip club, and it's kind of damning out. And I saw a woman coming down the street, and uh, she was dressed in a really tight red dress. And her uh, hair was disheveled, and she had tons of makeup on, and she had a very dead look in her eyes. She was kind of stumbling around on high heels. And I thought that is just such a distortion of who she really is. It was so sad. Um, I thought about it a lot that day. Um, just this woman—I don't know what she had given herself over to. It was pretty clear uh, that she was a prostitute. She was probably addicted to drugs. She was probably being used and abused by men. Uh, but I just thought that is not who she really is. That is not her real self. Her real self has been distorted, and in a way, she's been b- become uh, objectified, like treated like an object, and definitely abused and uh, and owned. And she's been brought under the power of sin. And then I also thought, part of the reason that moved me is I was just thinking about ourselves and how in many ways we're like that woman in the red dress as far as how different we are now, how different this Ben Milner is than the one who God created me to be and how, how different Rob Warfield and Margie Milner and Hayden Warfield are from your real self. Um, because Paul says we are slaves to sin. So it's not just mm-hmm. that We occasionally do the bad things, make bad choices. Um, Sin is our master, Paul says in verse 14. We have no power to not sin. Uh, We are slaves to sin, verse 6. And sin always distorts nature. So he didn't ever sin, um, but Paul says he was sent in the likeness of sinful human nature. So that means that he entered into our sick human nature. Somehow without sinning, he still took on a body of decay, um, a body that was dying. He did age. He was experiencing the consequences of sin everywhere he went in his whole life. And so he took on the likeness of sinful flesh. As one of the early church fathers said, um, he says that that Jesus assumed our sickness. And, and he said, uh, this is Gregory uh, of Nazianzus, he said that whatever... Is not assumed by Jesus. Is not healed by Jesus. So he had to take on all of our violated humanity. And I think of that woman again, um, the woman in red, that Jesus essentially became, you know, like that. He he took on. He didn't stand outside of our weaknesses and come like Superman. But he he came and he entered our dying, our decay, our addiction. I mean, he wasn't addicted, but somehow he felt like what we feel like when we're addicted. He took on our self-destruction. He just took it all in and he let it, he let it kill him every day of his life. Uh, and so it says in verse 10, he died to break the power of sin over us. Even as it was killing him, this is not just on his cross, but all the way through his life. Um, even as that sickness was killing him, he was redeeming our human nature. And um again, Think about that woman. If that woman had um, had checked herself into AA, you know, become part of a recovery group, it's like Jesus became her, checked himself into AA, began to rely on a higher power, began to say no to craving for drugs, uh, broke free of this person that owned her, uh, broke free of all the men that had used her, and essentially Jesus became this medicine that healed our distorted and perverted humanity, and he rejected all these voices that were coming to us that treat us like an object or a commodity or an employee ID number or a statistic or a consumer or a desire machine, and he united united himself to our human nature. And it says in verse 6, our old sinful selves were crucified with him. So he kills our old nature and completely changes our identity. And no longer are we just that that sick person, but we now have a new power inside of us. He is living inside of us, and uh, he has changed our identity fundamentally. If you become a believer, you believe in Jesus, you're united with him, and there's a new identity inside of you. And so Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives inside of me. So Paul was aware there was a person inside of him. And that he was that old, distorted man, and that this new person was being born inside of him, united with him. And uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, the great martyr, Austin's muse, um, Bonhoeffer also um, experienced this union with Christ and uh, uh, was martyred in a a Nazi concentration camp, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, great theologian. And, And Bonhoeffer said, when Jesus calls a man to himself, He bids him to come and die. And when we are united with Christ, we are united with him in his death. He bids us to come and die. So um, so if you're a Christian, uh, you cannot just continue to go on sinning uh, easily. And uh, you can't just keep going on sinning in a way where you're just casual about it. and It doesn't bother you. Uh, if, If you are a Christian, then your old human nature has been taken on by Christ and has been healed by him. And so you you will continue to sin, um, but it will not taste good, as I said earlier. Mm. Um, someone, a friend of mine, Justin Burnham, gave me this analogy. He said, it's like brushing your teeth. You know, when you brush your teeth before breakfast, it's a really bad idea. Because if you brush your teeth, then the orange juice is not going to taste good anymore. Amen. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> you made that mistake, Hayden? Yes. I yes. Have. And the bacon's <laughs> not going to taste good, and the eggs are not going to taste good. Whatever you eat's not going to taste good. Uh, after you brush, nothing tastes right. Because in this case, the toothpaste is like this new nature inside of us. And we are going to continue to sin, but it's not going to taste good. And um, I'll give you an example that happened two days ago um, with my wife, Margie, who's sitting right there. And um, her eyes are <laughs> very wide, nervous about this illustration. But she was um, she was telling me the other day that... Um, she sometimes feels annoyed. Um, now she feels like I'm annoyed with her when we're having conversations in a group. Um, and, um, usually if I'm talking to other people and she's in a group, she said this happens a lot in marriage counseling. Um, when we're doing counseling or you know, conversations with friends, uh, just over at their house casually. And she says, she feels like a lot of times, um, when, um, she's talking, I'm looking at her with annoyance and, or something like judgment. And she even said that other people had noticed that too. So um, that was very hard to hear. But then I thought about a performance review I had gotten actually two years in a row where um, some of you who wrote these know who you are. Uh, it said that I, um, I was somewhat aloof and smug or detached. I can't remember exactly what the words were but I thought about it a lot. Um, and it hit me at that moment where Margie said that uh, I just said, I think what you're experiencing is my intellectual pride, because um, that's really what I was saved from. When I became a Christian, that was the thing that I knew uh, how intensely I think I had relied on my pride uh, to give me my identity when I had felt so rejected. And so I think she was feeling what so many other people feel. Maybe I hide it better from them, but it's this contempt uh, or this disdain for other people's opinions. But I also realized in that moment where I was, um, I was so, um, just convicted and, and, uh, and hated my sin so much. I also realized that I am dead to that. That is not who I am. And, uh, and that old superior self, you know, I don't struggle with certain addictions that others do. Um, I, I'm pretty disciplined, but, uh, that thing, that pride is definitely still there, but that is not who I am in Christ. Um, and for you, it's probably something uh, different than that. It could be racial superiority. Austin was talking about that. And I'm certainly not free of that. I think we all have some of that. Um, this racial superiority we feel. This, um, a lot of times white guilt comes from a kind of a white superiority complex. And, uh, or there's another kind of superiority where you feel like you're woke and others are not woke. And you are enlightened and you are on the cutting edge of progress and everybody else is, you know, on the wrong side of history. Uh, But whatever it is, whatever whatever the sin is, we know in this passage that Christ has taken that sin and he's healed it. And so you are dead to your old self. And that could be a liberal self or a conservative self. It could be this easily offended self. It could be an Instagram identity. Um, A lot of us have these highly curated, highly cultivated identities that we have created for ourselves on Instagram or Facebook. And we have this kind of unique style to us or this fashion or diet or decor, a playlist we have. And, and Paul is saying that we have died to that sin. And, and not only are we dead to that sin, but now we're alive in Christ and we have a new identity um, where we are essentially a brother of Jesus or a sister of Christ or a son of God or a daughter of the King. And Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come to pass. And that leads to my second point, which is that not only does union with Christ mean we are uh, united with him in his death, but it also means we are united with him in his resurrection. And this will be a a shorter point. But Paul says in verse 8 that since we have died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. And so I think about Christ uh, in some ways grabbing a hold of us and then like jumping off a cliff with us and going down and burying us down under the ground. I uh, like these, you know, these corn seeds that get pushed down into the ground. And uh, that's very imple- it's, it's unpleasant, to be buried with him. It's unpleasant to die with him. And while you're dying with him, you're thinking, "You, why are you killing me, Lord? Uh, why are you, why do you hate me? Why are you afflicting me? And he's saying, uh, I'm doing that because I'm burying you with me under the ground like a seed so that you will come up uh, like a great you know corn stalk or something like that um where you're going to rise up with a whole new life inside of you and so uh i think of it kind of like chemo chemotherapy where uh, my wife experienced this a few years ago uh anything growing inside of you dies like your hair dies and it's like drinking a deadly poison in a way but um that chemo is actually killing the thing that is killing you and that's that's what the union with christ and his death means is that um that he is killing the thing that is killing us so that he's making us come back to life. And uh, the the reason that we feel like we're dying is because he's making us um, new. He's making us, he's burying us with us to bring us to life. And so we've got to remind ourselves over and over, uh, verse 11, you must consider yourselves dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. And this is like mental warfare. We've got to remind ourselves of this all the time, that uh, that you are alive now with Jesus Christ. That's your real identity. Uh, we have such a hard time seeing ourselves the right way. And we've got to keep remembering who we really are in Christ, um, that we are alive with him. After, um, after I was convicted so much about my intellectual pride, and I was just completely crushed and I was weeping, that doesn't almost ever happen. Uh, Margie said, what's wrong? You know, you're, you're, <laughs> this is not you. Mm. And I was like, I was covering my face uh, with my hands. I was burying my head in a pillow uh, because I was just so ashamed. Um, and, and then I began to try to say, like, Christ gave me these words. Um, I just kept saying, I am humble in Christ. Uh, that's who I really am. And I just kept saying, like, in Christ, I'm humble. I'm not <laughs> proud. That's not who I am. And that does happen, you know, and insert your sin in there. Um, I'm not addicted in Christ. You know, I'm not whatever. Um, whatever the things you struggle with, that's not who you really are. And you should just have to keep telling yourself, that's not who I am. I'm not irritated in Christ. I'm not, um, I'm not impatient in Christ. I'm not controlling in Christ. That's not who I am. And that's what Paul is saying in verse 8. I died with Jesus, and so I know... I will live with him and he will live through me and all of his graces will come through me. And so if you're a sinner, don't freak out. You know, that's normal, but it's not your identity. It's not your destiny. And you've got to tell your guilty fears, you're not who I am anymore. And you're an imposter and I'm one with Jesus. And I'm going to close with this this illustration, a very powerful illustration from Lord of the Rings. Um, It's one of my favorite scenes. And um, I played it the other day. For my family um, because it was so relevant to the situation at hand and the scene is uh, in the two towers Did y'all seen the lord of the rings yep. okay the two towers uh the rescue of king theoden y'all remember that scene oh yes yeah in the courtroom of uh the rohan where he is yeah rohan, yeah, yeah, rohan. okay so the the if you haven't seen the lord of the rings the second movie uh there's this sorcerer who's turned bad named saruman and uh, he has gained power over the mind of King Theoden. And so uh, King Theoden is a very important part of Middle Earth. And now he is held under the power of evil, the, the dark lord Saruman. And so Saruman has a minion uh, who is constantly sitting next to uh, King Theoden. So he's like sitting here all the time. And remember his name? Uh, worm-tongue. wormtongue. Grima yes. Wormtongue. Oh, my God. Remember that? that just disgusting. Little character, and he he sits by Theoden's ear, and he whispers uh, despair and confusion uh, constantly to Theoden. Such that uh, the the great king is now like kind of shriveled up. He's kind of like this, and uh, he's hunched over. And if you remember his face, it's like almost like it's ashen white. It's really disgusting, and he seems very lethargic and hopeless. And you can see that there's a powerful man there, but he's. Um, He's very jaded now, and cynical. Um, oh, his eyes—his eyes are like glossy white and rolled up in the back of his head. Yes. So um, that's the scene. But then, what happens next? Um, the Great Wizard Gandalf comes into the courtyard, and he he enters into the throne room, and uh, he strides over to Wormtongue, and one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite little lines from *Lord of the Rings*, and I I sometimes quote this, um, to my family, um, I won't try to, mem- I'll, I have memorized it, but I won't try to, I won't try to get it from memory. He says, uh, he says to Tongue, keep silent, keep your forked tongue behind your teeth. I have not passed through fire and death to bandy crooked words with a witless worm. <laughs> <laughs> I have not passed through fire and death to bandy crooked words with a witless worm. And then, um, Gandalf throws off this cloak, and he looks like an old man when he comes in. And now he reveals that he's this uh, Mithrander, right? He's this dazzling white wizard, uh, just blazing with glory, like that sun right there, just all this light coming from behind him. And uh, he holds up his hand like this, and he looks Thaoden right in the eye, and he says, I release you. And he begins to pull the poison of Saruman, and you see like a picture of Saruman and Gandalf like locked in this battle even though Saruman is hundreds of miles away and they're kind of locked in this battle for Théoden's sick mind and um, at the end of the battle you see Saruman fall back defeated and uh, and I think Gandalf even like like just kind of falls over and Théoden almost died. he falls forward and I think he like is grabbed by one of his maybe his daughter or something almost dying um, because of the struggle within him. But then you slowly see the color return to his face, and his eyes come to life, and he sits up straight, and it begins to take um, ownership and lordship back over Theoden. It's like a turning point in the battle over Middle-earth. And when I watch that scene, I always think of the power of Christ um, and the way that he comes like striding into the, the throne room of our lives, um, striding into our darkness and releasing people from the power of darkness. What's that? Amen. Amen. amen amen. and it's like the perfect analogy, isn't it it's um it's this amazing analogy mm. of uh of being delivered and rescued, uh, except that on the other the the problem of the analogy is that um that there's no magic involved in our rescue um there's there's no staff that Jesus holds up um he doesn't use magic, rather he actually uh he doesn't so much drive out the evil. But he takes, it'd be like taking Theoden's evil into himself. He assumes Theoden's sickness. Going back to what we said earlier, Gregory of Nazianzus, he, what, what is not assumed is not redeemed. He assumes um, all of the death, all of the dying, all the decay of Theoden. And so even as he's putting light into Theoden's eyes, even if he's bringing Theoden to life, Jesus is himself uh, dying and, and being crucified. And um, I'll end with this. Uh, We are, verse 9, we are sure of all this that I'm saying because Christ was raised from the dead. And because he was raised from the dead, he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him, nor does it have any power over us. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Go in peace.